Welcome to the Probate Mastermind Podcast. These episodes are recorded live once a week and are hosted by the AllTheLeads.com coaches. Agents, investors, and wholesalers join the coaches for everything from marketing tips, sales psychology, life deal analysis, transaction engineering, advanced real estate strategy, and personal development. You will learn to get more listings, more deals, and find financial freedom by listening to these episodes. Be sure to catch show notes at AllTheLeads.com slash podcast and join our free Facebook mastermind community, All The Leads Mastermind. Welcome, powerful agents and investors from across the country. Today is Thursday, January 21st, 2021, and this is Mastermind Podcast number 311. Before we get started, two of my partners wanted to say something. We'll start with you, Tim. You had a little bit of an announcement, and then Chad wanted to make a comment. Yeah, so I, I it is first off I have a question for you. You have a, a dictionary there of adjectives that you find a new one every time to talk about our people on the call. You do great. It's called synonyms. Synonym dot com. I've never used the same one twice. That's pretty good. Yeah, today's in, in some respects today is a bittersweet day and a great day for a lot of things. And that may sound like we're leading into a political discussion, and that's certainly not the case. Those of you who follow the wild and wacky world of Chad Corbett online and on Facebook and stuff like that may be aware that he's making some changes in his life and we are part of those changes. And I want Chad to get the opportunity to talk a little bit about what his future looks like and what he's doing. And with that, Mr. Corbett, have at it, bud. I have taken an appointment in the president's cabinet and I'm just kidding. So <laughs> today is, I guess, technically yesterday would have been my last official day as, as a partner of all the leads. You guys will still hear from me as a contributor, but I have made a decision to just live my best life. So I'm going to be taking probate mastery and really building that out into the kind of master class and legacy course that I've always wanted to and uh, stepping back from the day-to-day operations here. So I am moving into my new fifth wheel camper that I've converted to a living and commercial office space. And I'm going to be traveling the country, meeting with probate professionals, uh, real estate agents, brokers, attorneys, investors, all the people that I've had the the honor to serve and, and get to know in doing this. So for me, it's really just about getting out and doing what's most important to me and, and being putting myself to highest and best use of the things I enjoy and I'm best at. So as part of that, getting out of the way of, of what I'm not good at. So I, you, if you need to reach me, you'll no longer be chatted all the leads. For right now, you can find me at probatemastery.com. Uh, you can find the, the Probate Mastery uh, website, uh, excuse me, Facebook group, and anyone who's been through Mastery is in Probate Mastery alumni. Don't have the platform set up right now. I know that lots and lots of you are waiting for the next Mastery course. It's being rebuilt. An interim course will be put up hopefully in the next week or so at probatemastery.com. For right now, if you go to the education and training page on alltheleads.com, you can actually join the wait list to get into the interim class. And over the next two to three months, I'm working with some of the top course creators and and producers in the country to actually build it into a much bigger, much more robust course. That's that's what's happening. It's a big day for a lot of reasons. And And Chad, you've got to tell them about the A shaman, is that right? You're getting your own horns? Is that true? I may actually be kicking the trip off by officiating a wedding on the 13th. But I've been a- I've been asked to officiate a wedding. I'm a little nervous. I won't lie. Hey, Chad, you're starting your author your book, The 40 Year Old Hippie. Is that going to be the working title? Yeah, probably. You know, the one thing that we all know is that we've been partners for a long time and and friends for even longer than that. And 
plan is to uh, continue that and continue our relationship. And we just wanted to be in, in the spirit of all the transparency of the things that we do. Chad will be uh, still involved with what we're doing and still a part of it, but just not not as accessible as he was until he goes out. And like I said, you may see him on TV with his horns on officiating weddings. But just wanted to let you know that and we wish him well and all that, but he'll still be part of our lives. And at least once a month, we're planning to still have Chad sit with us here and take a bit more advanced approach to making a monthly call out of this and help him build out his platform as he does that, we're still still going to be pushing people over to take probate mastery because at this point, there's no better way to uh, get to the, a PhD in it than uh, to do that. And there's nobody that knows more about it. So it's all good, but we just wanted to let you know that. And with, that's all I had to say. Oh, and of course, Chad, we would have a, we got 12 people in the queue. So everybody take a deep breath and let's get to our first caller. First up this week is phone number ending in 5464. You're up first. Dan Buskirk. Last yes, sir. Week, I don't know what happened. I got dropped or something, but I was driving on the road and kept talking and then nobody was there. So it happened. Yeah, yeah we thought far, your we, cell phone we, went have, dead or something. We did lose you. How far did you make it talking to yourself? Probably two or three minutes is my guess. Yeah, that's not too bad. It wasn't like an hour. No, I like to think I'm not that long-winded. But anyway, I was at, at that time was trying to tell I have been making phone calls and the person on my PR that listed as the PR is the person's name. It's their address. But the person who I'm calling has no idea who the deceased person is. And it's happened two or three times. I've reported it to Natalie. Is it like uh, something common? No. Let me think. Jennifer Rose was one of them. One One lady's name was Irene. So, like, typically, when this is the case, it's it's more of an art than a sense when you're skip tracing, and we find we're very accurate. But sometimes you'll grab a common name in a, in a, in a highly populated area, and we've had subscribers before. The the person on the other end of the line gets sometimes excited, sometimes alarmed, and just let them know, hey, listen, what my assistant could have grabbed the wrong number. If this isn't somebody, if you didn't know Jane Doe at this address, just disregard the call. I, I apologize, my assistant must have made a mistake. And that usually puts them at ease, but you can probably bet yeah. that was false positive return. A lot of people don't realize also, I'm just going to add that the first column is if the phone number appears in the court records. The second, third, fourth column are, and, and generally the second, first and second column should be pretty accurate. If you're finding uh, numbers like that, it's probably the third or fourth column where we reached out and tried to find additional phone numbers. And the majority of them are going to be accurate, but you are going to get, Chad said, somebody with a very similar name and a similar address. It's not so much that it's wrong. It's just a similar information for a different person. You know what I mean? And that's not a bad way to explain it to them. It must have been somebody with a similar name. I've had people say that to me. What did I inherit? Did I win the lottery? And I, I just nicely tell them, if, if you inherited something, you would know. Sorry to bother you. It's probably just the wrong phone number. And then you had a follow-up question, Eddie? But yeah, the last thing on that is just that it was the person that I was calling, the, the address was the same. So I was thinking that the skip trace found a different person and changed the address from the court record. Anyway, my question is, the I called you guys a couple of weeks ago and told you about a guy who, when he inherited his dad's house, he had also inherited his grandma's house because his dad didn't do anything. And now he had dealt with his grandma's house, but he hadn't done his dad's house. So he ended up calling me back yesterday and was like, hey, I'm ready to, to meet with you and talk about my house. 
So I go over there and meet with him. And I've re-listened to the call last week multiple times because Chad, uh, Chris and David both talked about being more aggressive because the next guy who comes along is going to be the guy who's going to get that listing or the contract on the property. And so this guy just kept being like, you know, we're not ready to do anything. I've got four brothers. One of them lives in Japan. We're not going to move today. We just need to know what our options are and how can you help us get there. And he was like, I met with one realtor yesterday and I'm going to meet with two more this week. What is the best way to go about being aggressive in the right way? And, you know, I get, you need to, you need to flush out his apprehension. There's a belief in there somewhere that you need to identify and saying something like, it, it seems like you might not be sure, like you're afraid you're going to leave something on the table and raise the pitch of your voice, like to that higher inflection point and ask it in a bit of a question form. Like it, it seems like you might be nervous about making the wrong decision and then be quiet. And what he'll probably do, he's most likely to do, is reveal all of his apprehensions. And that gives you, this is where it's, this is being a really good listener. That gives you a chance to understand his motive, his apprehension and what his fears, what, what emotions are behind that. Chris Voss and Never Split the Difference would call that, he calls that labeling. If you can ask questions like that and label that emotion, maybe it's fear, maybe it's confusion, whatever it is, then you'll know what to say next. But I would try to uncover why is it that he thinks he has to meet with six people? And usually because that's because they want to make sure they're maximizing the equity. And if that's his answer, then your response could be great. That's actually one of the main tenets of our service. We want to make sure we minimize stress and maximize equity. If I come over on Wednesday, would Wednesday be a good time to show you all the ways we can do that for your situation? Perfect. How's three o'clock? And set the appointment. Take paperwork. Because if you can work him through that apprehension and hand him a blue pen, he'll sign every time. Chris, anything you want to add? Yeah, so I, I think that the other thing is to, is to ask them what the most important things that they're looking for. This really fits really well with what Chad said. He fed the prospect what they were looking for, where I might just leave it semi-open-ended and say, what are two or three things that you're looking for that would make make an agent the right fit or make an investor the right fit, whatever that is, and and then write those things down. And that'll give you what you pitch toward, okay? Because okay. a lot of times we'll go in and pitch, present something that isn't important to the prospect at all. So we want to get, in their words, what's important to them and then summarize it and say, did I, and then, and then when you address it in the appointment, does that satisfy what you're looking for? And you're essentially eliminating their objections right up front and lead, it really should lead to a, a much higher closing rate. Okay. When they have four siblings or they're one of four and they're like, we have to, you know, typically I'd be like, let's call them or something. But what do you suggest in that scenario? I usually get a commitment from them, try to get them to commit at least to a tentative date and time, and then say, okay, is, is everybody pretty tech savvy? And if the answer is yes, then I'll just go right to Zoom. If the answer is no, then I'll try to, you can email a link and then set up a conference line, just an audio conference line. If everyone's really not tech savvy, then you can drop over, you can drop priority mail packages to them and then drive it to have a cover letter that says, here's the date and time we're meeting. Here's the instructions to dial into the conference line and really idiot proof it. I've had to do all three, but you can, I try to get a commitment to the, the time slot and then figure out the logistics of it. If they can't meet in person right now, it's easier than ever to set Zoom appointments. 
Okay, that's a good idea. All right, sir. On one study where I actually never met the seller. They worked third shift, she and her husband both, and they were in Florida. The house was here in Roanoke. And I actually went over there and met with a cousin who let me in, took a YouTube video of the interior, the exterior, did my listing presentation as part of that YouTube video, sent it to them with a DocuSign, and the next morning I woke up with a listing. Never even spoke to them. That's awesome. So I would, Eddie, I would speak to the at-the-house appointment. So using, I think Zoom is an amazing tool, and I'm I'm going to lean toward trying to meet everybody on Zoom first. But let's assume that you are meeting at the house and you do want to get in front of the family members, it's much easier to propose meeting everyone up front than it is to set an appointment with the person you're, you're talking with and then trying to get the other heirs there. So let's say you set an appointment for Thursday and then say, oh, by the way, can you make sure everyone's there? That's going to be tough. So instead of that, if you're going to try to push for an at-the-property appointment, you just say, could you give me a, a time or two when you think that you could get everyone to the house for 20 or 30 minutes? If you're going to propose that everyone's at, at a property, you just need to go ahead and set the standard that everyone, at least all the key decision makers, are going to be present before you narrow lock down that time. Okay. All right. Eddie, I didn't disconnect you. I think you're gone, right? All right. Yeah, I hope it was intentional. Next up is phone number ending in 6320. You're up next. Hey, guys. Uh, quick question about the all the leads uh, strategy on cold calling and sending in direct mail. What is your guys' timeline on when to send the first piece of mail, how many days after to follow up? And what's like a little bit more of an aggressive approach? Is it sending two mailers a month? Is it sending one mailer a month and one the next month or you know, three mailers a month? Just want your guys well, guidance on it. We have two answers. We have the company standard recommendation and then we have the Bruce method. So Bruce, you want to tell them both? The company standard, the company standard method is that you're going to send a monthly letter. So you get your list, you set, you set your mail on autopilot. Um, your first letter drops within a couple of days of your list coming out. Your next letter drops a month later, months later. We do recommend at least four four letters. For the longest time, the company has said three letters, and I think technically that's what's still on a lot of the training. But but I would I would advise on six months of letters. I can tell you what I do. My method is I do biweekly for the first month. So uh, they're getting three letters by the end of the first month from me. Uh, that first month is typically the most noisy in their mailbox. The most, my biggest competition is in their mailbox at the same time. So I just want to be a little bit, a little bit more aggressive than my competition during the early days. And then I'll go ahead and scale my campaign back to every four weeks from that point. As far as calls go, the company recommends calling a couple of days after each letter hits. Okay. I recommend if you've never spoken with the person, just call them bi-weekly. I like to call people before my first letter goes out anyway. So I'll put a short delay, like seven days on my letter. So my letter really isn't hitting their mailbox for a week and a half after I get my list. And that gives me a chance to call everyone at least once before they've gotten a letter. And then I, if I don't have a conversation with you, I'm going to call you every two weeks until you answer or my campaign runs out. And that run, if you haven't answered in six months, I'll probably go ahead and let you go for a little while. And I was just going to add to that. If we're doing the mail for you, we send you a letter from yourself. So when you receive that, 
you got a pretty good indication that your seller received it. And certainly you want to, there's nothing wrong with calling them before. The advantage that a lot of people feel, it's a little bit less of a cold call if they receive the letter first because you can reference the letter. Bruce, if you haven't sent them a letter yet and you call them ahead of time, do you still say you probably got my letter or you, or you skip that part? I say, did you happen to get a letter from me yet? And you'd be surprised how many people say, yeah, I think so. And I don't correct yeah. them. So I don't lie and say, I sent you a letter. I just say, did you happen to get my letter yet? Sure. The other thing the other thing <laughs> I'd point out is that, Bruce, based on a lot of the stuff that you're – because you're working a lot with all of our customers at this point as you're the first coach they end up speaking to. And what we've seen is a dramatic increase in the number of letters that are going out from uh, people early on in the process. And more and more people are – at least going to that fourth letter. And a lot of people have now moved to the six-letter approach over the two month, first two-month period and hitting it pretty hard. So the And it's just like anything else. Anything in advertising will tell you is the more frequently somebody sees your name, the more often you're going to be top of mind when it comes to them thinking about who they need to deal with. And it's just like anything else. It's budget-related, but it's also important to remember that in this time, where they're not out roaming around all the time and spending as much time as they would, letter may be one of the very best ways that you can get that done. And it's always worked well. It's just working far better now. People get calls on letters that they sent out a year ago. And Jim, you've got some stories on that. I might as well throw that in here yep. real quick. Yeah, I was. I always feel compelled to add that if you're only, especially if you're only going to do three letters, one a month for three months, we've had people with tremendous success, and I've had great success with the six, twelve, and eighteen month letter. But you would think it's a waste of postage, but the reality is. If 90% of them are sold after six months to 12 months, the 10% that aren't, your conversion rate is going to be through the roof because they're going to finally be ready to do something and you're going to have zero competition. Nobody else is. I can't tell you how many people told me a year ago, six months, nine months, a year ago, my phone is ringing off the hook. You're the only one that's contacted me really in the last few months. So it's it's the the ROI is going to be the the return is going to be phenomenal on those latter letters and I was going to also add you guys will probably notice when you ask us a question we've got a variety of answers it isn't a one size fits all approach it it a lot depends on your budget if you have a very limited budget and you have a limited amount of time follow the minimum standard if you have more time and you have a bigger budget, more is almost always better. You're, the, the more letters you send out, there's the reason Bruce does it, because Bruce, I know you, I've probably asked you this before, but I know you don't really chart your ROI monthly, but do you feel like a majority of your responses come in the first three letters or the second three, or is it pretty mixed? I feel like the majority of the responses happen at month four. Now, yep. we catch about 20% of our audience on the phone, and at minimum, we identify whether they're going to sell pretty quickly. So right. in that first seven days, we're going to get a bunch of, yes, we're going to sell, we're not quite ready yet, and we're going to lay out either an appointment plan or a follow-up plan with them. And that way, our letters are cold letters, introductory letters. They're really only hitting people at that point that we don't that we haven't had a good conversation with. And uh, by the way, a good conversation it it might be, hey, buzz off. We don't want to talk to you. They just saved me eleven dollars on my marketing campaign. So 
there's nothing wrong with identifying someone that's not going to sell as well. You know, you make a great point too, Bruce. The better a job you do in making your calls and taking notes and reclassifying your leads, the the more productive your later mailings are going to be. If you start off with 100 leads, after six months, you may only have 15 of them that you haven't spoken to. Very productive to go ahead and send those ones letters that you've never disqualified. So just keep mailing, keep doing campaigns to the ones that haven't been disqualified. And the best way to, to disqualify them is to, to make the frequent calls, obviously. What is too many calls in your guys' opinion? Like, if I'm calling, should we be calling these people every day if we're taking an aggressive approach? Or what is too many until you reach them? Every day is probably too much. Bruce, what do you think is too much? It depends on when. If you have the bandwidth, I would probably, most people don't do this, mainly because of the bandwidth. I might go every day for a week. But then I'd start to space it out a little bit at that point. I do believe that if you haven't spoken with them, less than every other week is too little. So in, in a perfect world, I think between two and four calls a month is probably the the appropriate amount of calls to someone that you've never that you've never spoken with. But I don't mind you going more aggressive than that daily or twice a day for seven days if you have the time to do it. If you're not leaving voicemail. And that's something to right. be aware of. True. So if you're leaving the same voicemail every day for two weeks, you're going to hurt yourself because it's you're going to become an, an aggravation. So just leave a voicemail your first time if you want. And then you can, we have folks who call the, every day for the first seven days, only leaving an email on the, or excuse me, a voicemail on the first. And you'll start to, you'll start to see what is perceived as reasonable in your marketplace. If people get frustrated seeing your number and ignoring your call intentionally every day, eventually they're going to pick up and be like, who is this? But that's engagement. But I think yeah. just look at your bandwidth and see how much time you have. But if you're calling once a week, leaving a voicemail, certainly once every two weeks, leaving a voicemail isn't unreasonable. And you never know when something's going to change for these folks. They will take immediate action sometime between now and 24 months from now. So more is usually better. One last thing. I'm just going to add one last thing that I also pay attention to the times that you're calling them. I used to call someone three times Monday through Friday business hours. If I didn't get them, I'd put them in my Wednesday night pile and I'd call them from five to seven on Wednesday night. If I didn't get them then, they'd go to my Saturday morning pile and I'd call them 10 to one on Saturday. Because there are some people that you call them every day at the same time. It's just not a good time for them. You're never going to reach them. So pay attention to the times you call them. And Bruce, I stepped on you. You had an answer. No, you're good. Definitely alternating those times is important. What you say in the voicemail also becomes important, especially as you go later into your prospecting campaign. So let's say you've called someone three or four times or for a couple, for several weeks you've called them and you either not left a message or you've left something generic. If, if they're just the type of person that you recognize is they're just not going to answer, I want you to start putting your um, script or your elevator pitch into those voice messages because if they're part of the 80% that doesn't answer an unknown number or they're super busy, it's likely that you'll go through a couple of months calling them without an answer. So I want them hearing my narrative, so my offer, in a letter and a voicemail frequently. Your voicemail becomes almost another letter or almost another marketing touch at that point. I don't do that with someone that is new in my campaign. I'm usually going a little more generic, leaving some curiosity. They don't know me yet, 
but if they've gotten two or three letters from you and now all of a sudden your voice messages are getting a little bit specific on what you're <clears throat> offering, it just reinforces your brand. Okay. All right. Appreciate it. Next up is phone number ending in 1583. You're up next. Hey, what's happening? My name is Travis. Well, first, hey, hey I'm doing wonderful. First, first, I want to say, Chad, I'm sad, I'm, I'm sad as you go, but I want to know, I want the last December, the master class. I emailed in for that, but I haven't received it yet. I want them to send me that master class in December. Were you enrolled in the course? No, I was not. Right now, the course okay. isn't for sale. Have you joined the wait list? Or the access list? When, when the, I am. I am. I am already part of. I am a subscriber. But the, so the course, if you want to take probate mastery, I'm I'm rebuilding it on on an LMS platform for right now. So if you go to alltheleads.com, look under education and training. So it's alltheleads.com forward slash education dash training. In there, the what used to be this, the button to sign up for the course will now take you to a wait list, like an early access list. And it's just taken me some time to transfer everything to, to a new platform because it's being transitioned to, away from a live course where I'm actually going to teach it long form. It's going to go from seven hours to 24 hours. But each week okay. we'll have a live component. So I'll actually be doing a live coaching call on a specific day each week, probably a Tuesday. But as I'm making all these decisions and replacing business systems, right now I'm working, I'm going to have an interim version put up. And anyone who's on that early access list will have act, will, you know, get an email saying, here's where it is. Here's how to get signed up. Okay. And you said I can just sign up through that the same way we normally sign up with the master class, the monthly class? Okay. Right now, it's just a simple Google form. So you're going to fill out that form, which will let me know that I reach out to you whenever the site is active. Okay. And then whenever I have the membership site ready, then I'll send you an email and say, hey, you can go here and, and get instant access to the course. So you'll be able to get it okay. quickly once I have, have the, the membership site set up. Okay. You guys still there? Yes, sir. We have, yeah, we have five more in the queue. 4046, you're up next. Hi, this is Marilee. Lee. It's a great day for me to be having this uh, conversation. Congratulations to Chad for following your dream. Thank you. I just wanted to hey, I just want to let you know that yesterday I received one of the telephone calls that you have totally prepped me to receive. And that was a very angry recipient of my letter. No. I It didn't I, turn her. That's good. Exactly. I just feel like the training that you have offered me since I've been doing this program in June of last year really prepared me to handle this conversation as best as I could. And the elderly gentleman had lost his wife to cancer, and he accused me of being a uh, taking advantage of taking advantage of him. And he said my letter was cheesy. I had no empathy. He just went on and on. And every time he would breathe, I would simply say, it sounds like you're really stressed. And then he would just lay into me again about something. And he's yelling at me about realtors being piranhas and predatory. And his, I just took one for the team. I just said, I apologize. He's, and he couldn't even hear anything that I was saying. Is all he wanted to do was vent. And yep. is all I could think of was Chad saying how many times you've received these calls. And at that point, I wasn't savvy enough and thinking on my feet quick enough to even say, what's your name? And before we could end and, and he 
wanted me to tell everybody to go to hell. So basically, I felt like I did the best I could, but I don't know what I could have done to turn it. So I'm with that really grateful I got to say goodbye to you and thank you and best of luck. Yeah, thanks for sharing your lightning strike. And it, it's hard to tell you exactly what to say with it being out of context. If you can hear, if you can hear exactly what they're saying, I would have a response. But just for anyone listening, like the, the way I coach through the lightning strike is you've got to, people can only hold negative emotion for so long. And half of them are going to hang up before you, before the tactic works. But if you can keep them engaged and let them burn that off, which you did, like you, you said, oh, it seems like you're, you're really upset. And then he just came right back with another, with another dose. Some of them, some people are just emotionally raw and someone else has stirred up a hornet's nest inside of them. And then they get triggered and go off on you because they think you're offering something as selfish as the last person. But I'm really glad to hear that you haven't let that rattle you, that you know you're doing the right things for the right reasons. And it always feels good to, you know, what I would say next time when you think you're in this situation, get their name first. Because I find that to be disarming in itself. It's, excuse me, who am I talking with? If you're going to talk to me that way, I need to know who you are. And then you put them back on their heels because they don't expect it. They know everything they want to say to you. But if you interrupt them and ask them for their name, that's usually the first thing that I use to trip somebody up. And then you can say, okay, so Ronald, it, it sounds like you may have called the wrong number. And get them fired up. Get that fuel. Get it to the top. And let them burn off that negative energy. And, and the next round, you come in and say, it seems like you've really misperceived the reason I reached out. It was, it is, and just, I shouldn't have said is. I would cut it off there and burn it off and see. And he started to tell you, these damn realtors, this and that, these investors, someone else has muddied the water in front of you. But the fact is, he wouldn't have called if there wasn't some curiosity that he, he had about you. He just like, unless he's just a miserable SOB, he probably wouldn't have taken the time and, and the emotional energy to do that. It never hurts for me to actually sit down and, and just write a handwritten letter to that person. And so it's important to me that I have a good, that I'm respected in the community I serve. And I, I know that sometimes the offer can be misperceived, but actually, let me tell you why I do this and just put your why in there and say, listen, we, we know that unfortunately X number of families a month go through this and at the risk of making some people feel the way I, I made you feel, we reach out because we've seen the positive side of this and what an impact we've been able to make in our community. And it does a couple of things. Most importantly, it reinforces your why and gets it off your chest so you can release this, which you've already done a good job at. But secondly, it, it really helps them understand that your intent was pure and you're not trying to take advantage of them. And putting it in writing and having them receive it when they're not, they haven't amped themselves up to, to give you an ass chewing, it's, it's more likely to get through to them. So that's what I encourage people to do when you do get hit with a strike. 50% of the time, they'll actually roll, they'll show you their fears, and you can become the solution to their fears, and then you'll get the deal. The other 50% of the time, they just really wanted to give someone a railroading. All right. Thank you so much, and congratulations on, on uh, it's not what happens to you, it's how you respond to it, and you responded beautifully. Next up is phone number ending in 1583. You're up next. Are you there? Hey, this is Trent. Yeah, yeah, this is Trent. I'm back. I had a question, but I had got, I had got muted up. I mean... I'm a contract, and I've been searching the Alderley's website trying to answer this question, but I don't really find a lot of information on the actual process once you actually get a deal on a contract. So I got a deal on a contract. I got it for a good price, actually. You wouldn't believe it. I got it for $10,000. And I've had to change attorneys twice 
I had to do an amendment and change attorneys twice. And I got an email today from my attorney, and she said that for me to um, go on with the closing, move forward with the closing, that the house would have to go through probate. And I'm like, she like she it made me so mad. I'm like, it already been a month and a half, and did the second attorney, and they saying they got to go through probate. I gave them the probate papers. I gave them a letter of testamentary that she got. I gave them where she the full as the of the estate. So she got me confused, and I'm trying to see now what. Where I need. What state are you in? in Georgia? And do you know if court approval is required for a real estate transfer and probate? Yes. Well, I do know that the last one that we I did, that person had an attorney, and the attorney sent in paperwork for them to carve out the real estate to sell the real estate. The attorney did on the last one, but this one ain't got no attorney. And but and they've been in probate. Is this, is this a real estate attorney or an estate attorney? Yes. Yep. A basic real estate attorney. Okay. Do you, you still have the paperwork from that last deal? From this deal or the, the last deal? Uh, the last yes. deal you referenced. Why don't you send that to your closing attorney and say, hey, the last time I encountered this, here's how we here's here's how we got through it. Can you follow this process and, and make sure this gets through to closing on the closing date? Oh, I see what you're saying. Send them over that. Okay, okay so because when I did call them back and I was speaking with the you know, the lady up front, and she was just saying that, that I need to get with the seller and we need to go to the courthouse and see what we need to do to get the title in her name, to get the title in her name before we can close. And she was in the title guy. So let me get back off. You said there okay. are letters testamentary. So probate has been initiated, correct? Yes, two years ago. Okay. And it's still open? Yes. Okay. Then they, like, they should in most states. You can actually sell, transfer real estate during while the probate's open. They'll close the chain of title using the death certificate, the letters testamentary, and then the, the money's released to the estate's bank account. In some states, okay. you have court approval, so you'll get the uh, you get the asset under contract. You take that contract to the court. The court will either approve it or go through an overbid process, which isn't the case in Georgia. And then you can close and the money gets released to the estate's bank account. In order, to, what they're telling her to transfer title is part of the probate process. She can't just go to the courthouse and transfer title. It's, it's a legal process and it's a legal function inside the probate process. So if she has been going at this for two years and doesn't know what, what her responsibilities are as a fiduciary, you should probably get her to an estate planning attorney so that you can she can make sure that this is properly executed and can actually close it so she's not here another two years from now. And I like your idea, Chad, okay. of bring in the guy that helped you. Bring in the same attorney that helped you last time. See if he can help you with this one. Even if you got to pay him a little bit extra, why not get get it done? That makes okay? sense. Okay. Have you all ran into the situation where you all had a um, property on, on the on the contract that was not that the seller did not have an attorney? Yeah, I've yeah. I've done. Not pretty much every probate I've ever done, because in my market, probate attorneys are extremely uncommon. It's just not common practice here. So it's not necessary, and it's not required, contrary to popular belief, but it's always a good idea. Okay. Okay. All right. Next up is Mr. Pinnell. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm good. I just I wanted to, when you were talking about the phone calls earlier, it is, until you said something, Jim, it's those buckets you put people in, and we just move people from initial, when we were calling very aggressively. I've, I've tapered off since a little bit from that, but it still stays in that bucket of uh, uncontacted. We used to try to make it overcomplicated by put, moving them into different folders, but we yep. we'd lose track of them. So they just stay on one folder in our espresso dialer, just like a mojo dialer, whatever dialer you use. And and they just don't ever get out of that. 
that bucket until they pick up the phone and tell you no. But if it's a maybe, they're going to get a little bit more heat on me because you can usually hear in someone's voice if they're, no, I'm just not ready to deal with it in their statement or perspective. So you got to listen for that. You can't just discount somebody on your call list because they say no. You know, it's like Chad says, you got to disarm them. And I got a guy yesterday called me. He's, I'm going to waste your time. That's the first thing he said on the phone. I was like, all right, who's going to be wasting my time? He's, can I get your name so I can at least? He's like, oh, uh, we talked for 30 minutes. So it's just like that comment. Uh, thank you, sir. As always, man, words of wisdom. Appreciate it, David. Next up is phone number ending in 2517. You're up next. Hey, this is Sue. I have two questions. One is in that listing of probate leads that I just got, there's multiple phone numbers. It looks like other potential relatives. Do you tend to call those or do you just typically start with the PR? This kind of goes to all the leads methods and the Bruce method. Because I'm calling before my first letter hits their box, I'm usually calling the first number or what appears to be the most relevant number on my first round. And then if I can't get the PR after a round or two, I'm going to start going down that list and calling all the other numbers. The all the leads method is just call all the numbers right out of the gate. Uh, For me, speed to speed to to dial is important and speed to get through my list a couple of times before my letter hits is important so that's why i call the the one that looks the most relevant only on my first round or two that helps sue sue you got a lot of background noise so i'm muting you i'm muting you out when you're not talking but did did that help yes all right thank you no problem all right next up is phone number ending in eight two one three you're up next hey guys it's fed First and foremost, Chad, super sad to hear that, but then again, happy for you and wish you to see all the best. Secondly, I made two questions. One of them is I, I found that obviously thanks, thanks to you guys and obviously going through the role play calls and even last week's call where Bruce was extremely helpful, I think he, he introduced a version of the elevator pitch that really helped. And obviously, you guys always pushing for asking better questions may have landed me three three deals with the same person. So essentially, I called the PR, did not answer, left a voicemail, went down that list. The last number on that list picked up, and it was a gentleman. I asked for the PR, and he said, you got the wrong number. Uh, there's no Charlotte here. So initially, I said, all right, thank you. And I hung up. Then I said, you know what? Let me call him back and see if maybe he was just trying to block it and he may know her. So I called back and I said, hey, I understand you're not Charlotte. I did get the this number from the county clerk's office down at the probate court. So I just wanted to see if you happen to know how I could get a hold of Charlotte. And from there, he said, oh, yeah, that's my daughter. And from there, I find out that, A, she's moving from New York. She moved to LA from New York and she and her husband want to buy a house or a duplex triplex that they're going to have that they're getting they want to get the house ready for probate that she's being a, a PR for and that he himself is also looking for a property so I have him and the daughter set up to, to view two properties actually next week they're all cash they sent me proof of funds and everything the power of asking better questions thanks to you guys so i I definitely wanted to thank you guys for that obviously i'm not celebrating because it's not closed 
at all, but at least we're one step forward with three possible transactions on a simple better question. That's great. Was there a probate for sale in the estate or did you just turn her into a buyer or both? Oh, there was. Okay. I wasn't clear on that. The father told me that she is indeed looking to to get ready to to get the property ready, the, the probate property. So that'll be one, and then she wants to, her and her husband want to buy a property for themselves to live in, and then the father also wants to buy a property for himself. So that's that. Then again, making the calls, I encountered a challenging challenging scenario. I just want to make sure I'm staying in front of the, the PR. He communicated to me the following, that he's the son of the deceased person, and he was incarcerated when the mom passed away. At the time, his brother lived in Vegas and was not aware of what was going on. And the PR states that even though the mom has owned the property since 1977, she has a fiancé she's been with since the mid-80s. And it appears that the fiancé married the mother who died of cancer a few weeks before the death. So the PR believes that it was done to take advantage of her. And he said, I don't know what to do. Tell me what I should do and this and that. And I said, first of all, is there a court date? Which told me, he said, is, was January 11th. But he said, I guess the fiance is fighting them to try to keep the house. So I said, look, I think you should seek legal counsel and just make sure and ask the attorney to make sure that you guys present this to the judge, obviously, because I can't give them legal advice. But I told him, I said, look, I'm here for you regardless. So if you need anything regarding help with anything, because he said he does want to get, does want to sell the property. I just didn't know what else I need to do. I'm going to follow up with him. He said he has another court date, February 21st, but, and he agreed that I can call him probably that week just to see what's going on. Is there anything I could advise him to do in the meantime, or that I should add to the service that can be provided? I hope that made sense. I tried to explain it as clearly as possible. Yeah, the first step is figuring out if it was a valid marriage. And he mm-hmm. could go to the, the clerk's office and see if he could find a marriage license. Okay. That could, If it was a valid marriage, and the other question, the next question I would have is, okay, if that was the decedent's intent, was to have him become a legal heir, did they also write a will that, that the personal rep mm-hmm. is not aware of? So is this testate or intestate? But if assuming there is no will, they didn't take that step. If it's a valid marriage, then it's it's going to be intestate succession, and he will be due at least fifty percent of he'll be he'll be a fifty percent heir. So okay. your advice was sound. Like he does need to get an attorney because it sounds like the they are opposing parties. This one person's fighting to keep the house, and he he intends to sell the house. So the likelihood of this blowing up if they try to deal with it themselves is pretty high. So I would definitely get an attorney involved sooner than later. And that that can be part of the attorney scope of work is, you know, figuring out who the actual heirs are, like if it was a valid marriage. Okay. That that makes sense. Yeah. I figured I'd, I'd give him a call. I spoke to him. This was last week. So maybe I'll just give him a call this week, just A, to see if there's any updates and B, I'll add the suggestion you made. Do you have both the decedent, obviously you have the decedent's name. Do you have the fiance slash maybe husband? Do you have his full legal name? I do not. No, he did, he did not share that information with me, no. 
the PR. Even if you want to be proactive and really provide a high level of service, call the clerk's office yourself. And listen, I'm trying to help a family not end up in a conflict and a probate. Can you help me see if there's a marriage certificate for Jane Doe? She's deceased, but there should have been a marriage certificate in the last X number of weeks, whenever that time frame was. And see if they can okay. find one. If they can't, that might be your first indication that it was not valid. Just if they didn't pull a marriage license. Here's what I'll say, man. There's two sides to every story. And yeah. just because just because a guy, if a guy spends his life with a woman and expects to be an heir to her estate, that doesn't make him selfish. It doesn't mean he's trying to take advantage. He had an emotional connection with that person. And if her son disagrees with that, that's, that's it's up to him. But it doesn't mean he's a bad person. It doesn't mean there was malicious intent. It could be a valid marriage, and the son's just going to have to deal with that. But the more information you can get, the better uh, you can coach him through through this and make sure he doesn't blow up and go do something dumb. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Question, just one last question regarding off-market or probate properties that are going to hit the market soon. I'm aware of two properties that another agent has. No court confirmation is needed for them. Is How does that work as far as perhaps getting a client in? Because my understanding is that you can't put it into contract prior to it being listed on the market. That was my understanding, but maybe I, I'm misunderstanding. It sounds like you're referring to your MLS rules, not state law. Oh, okay. So there's nothing in my Yeah, just reach out to the agent and be like, hey, how did you find out about it? Sphere of Influence put me in touch with an agent he knew. We got to talking about some properties and he said, oh, I specialize in probate. I said, oh, I help families with probate myself. So I said, if you have any off market, please let me know. And he said, yeah, I have these coming up. And ironically, the gentleman I was telling you about before, who has the daughter and all that stuff, he wants to take a look at these properties. Yeah. So, I mean, just just call that agent and be like, hey, I spoke to my, my, my client and they are super excited to see the properties. What day and time is best? And just start okay. the conversation. But hopefully... There, there shouldn't be anything in your MLS rules that prevents them from allowing another agent to see the home. Now, they might not be able to receive an option to take offers and negotiate if it's listed but not uploaded to MLS. But I would get my folks over there to preview it as soon as possible and say, listen, we these are serious buyers. Is your buyer using financing or cash? Cash. Yeah. So I would give proof of funds just to strengthen your position and say, this is a cash buyer that I'd like to take over. Let's make your job easier instead of you might not have to go through 40 or 40 contracts. I'll just bring you a fair offer on the day you list it. And they should let you preview. I'll, yeah, I'll do With, that. Uh, All right, everybody. That, go ahead. Bruce. Sorry, Jim. With regard to that, no, go ahead. a lot, if it, a lot of, there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding around the new um, realtor rules and the MLS rules. And some MLSs really might not let you submit an offer if it hasn't gone on the market. But it's my interpretation in most areas that that's, that's just a misunderstanding. What they're not allowed to do is market that property without it being active in the MLS. But they can hold it as a pocket listing. They can let cooperating brokers look and make offers and accept offers on the contract or on the house as long as they haven't advertised it with a sign or any kind of other advertising. But just a conversation like this should not restrict you from making an offer and getting that offer accepted. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I appreciate that, Bruce. Thank you. All right, guys. And we're finishing right on time. Another great call. And just to be clear, this chat will be here on an ongoing basis, maybe 
just possibly not every week. But So save your good questions for him when he is here. I want to thank each of you, as always, for being here. I want to particularly thank those of you that actively participated, and I want to challenge each of you to take one thing that you heard that inspired you on this call, come back and go out and put it into practice and come back next Thursday and share your results with the group. Stay healthy, stay productive, have a great week, and we will talk to you same time next Thursday. Take care, everybody.